Oh, look at you. Cheat codes. Nice. Uh, for those people who cannot see what Matt just did, he put an acoustic panel down on the table so he could set his drink on it so it wouldn't make a clunk sound. Upgrade. Upgrade. All right. Welcome w- back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode, but a movie episode. It's been a while since we've had a movie episode, just you and me. So it's nice to be yeah. back. And let's go ahead and do this. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. For some reason, Matt took it upon himself to show me both the 2014 RoboCop and the 1987 RoboCop. I don't quite remember the train of thought that got me there. Um, We started the 2014 one. I can narrate it for you. You saw a couple of memes. You realized Gary Oldman was in the 2014 version. Yes. And then you realized Joel Kinnaman was in the 2014 version. And you were like, oh, this. And then I saw Samuel Jackson was in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw clips coming up on social media. This is a perfect perfect example of how sometimes when cooking, all of the ingredients taste amazing separately. But once you put them together, it is hot fucking garbage. I would say that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... I don't think that's an exaggeration. <laughs> we love everything. I fell asleep during this movie. The 2014. The 2014. Oh, you did? Version. Yeah, I did. I didn't even notice. Yeah, you woke me back up with a comment. You were like, what the crap? And I was like, oh, what? What just happened? I missed it. Honestly, I was awake for most of it. I was only asleep for maybe 10 minutes, and I still have almost no memory of that movie. I don't know what happened. Did anything happen? Uh, nothing surprising happened in the movie. Um, no, nothing was, good surprising. No. It won four awards. Were they Raz Awards? Let's see. One of them was a Young Artist Award for okay. David Murphy. All right. Alex Murphy's son. Who was One in it was, like seven minutes, but okay. Uh, ASCAP Film and Te- Television Awards. Golden Trailer Awards. I could see how the trailer would go over really well. Wow. I didn't know trailers could win awards. Yeah. Interesting. What's the Film and Television Award? Mm-hmm. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't quite say. Yeah, nothing, nothing real big. Yeah, I mean, I would be shocked. No if it prestigious had awards. Good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the rating? Do you have the Rotten Tomatoes rating? Ooh, yeah. Let's pull that up. Well, the 1987 version has a 91% tomato meter with an audience score of 84%. The 2014 Robocop has a 49% tomato meter. 
and a 49% audience score. Accurate. I would agree with both all of those numbers. I think that that is extremely accurate because, um, so I'm trying to remember how we summed it up last night, but like the 1987 version is like, I am a man who had his life taken away and became a robot. And then through the course of the movie, I rediscover that I'm a man. Right, and, and then, he gains he regains autonomy. Right, and in 2014, the RoboCop was like, "I'm so sad. I'm a sad robot. Look how sad I am. I'm gonna be sad and sad and sad." And he's conscious from through the whole thing. Right, he's conscious, but like we're in the lab for the entire movie. It's like an hour and ten minutes before he right. even it's, gets out of the lab. It's a two-hour movie, and it was. At 90 minutes in, before we actually got RoboCop action. Yeah, like RoboCop going out doing RoboCop shit. And then almost immediately, he's like, doing RoboCop shit makes me sad. And we have to go back in the lab again. Well, uh, I don't know. I I mean, he rode a motorcycle around for like a little bit. I remember that. And I think he shot a couple of people, maybe. I don't know. He solved his own murder. I think that's the part I kind of slept through. (laughs) Because at that point, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Um, but hes I remember waking up, and they're like, he solved his own murder. Well, no, that was in the 1987 one. Well, he did that in the 1987 one, too. Because remember, his car blew one? up. He did it in oh, both. Oh, yes, yes. He did he it did. in both. Yeah, we, that's like the one thing we kept. But, uh, okay, let's just talk about the 1987 version. And then we can talk about, we'll, we'll start with the positive like we like to do. I liked the 1987 version. Ditto. Um, there is no, and I will die on this hill, substitute for a man in the suit. Or a woman. Right. Practical whatever. effects. An actor in the suit. You cannot act a suit with CG in the way that a human can act a suit. I don't care what... That's I, I, just... It's the truth. Right. Even it's the, Iron it's Man. It's the straight facts. You can tell the difference in movies where Iron Man is present, where he's just in a like stretch motion capture suit. Yeah. Versus he's in like a suit. actual yeah. like model armor and right. then they just CG like joints and stuff. Right. Because Peter Weller in this suit makes Robocop Robocop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then when we get Joel Kinnaman in his obviously CG with his, like, face pasted on it, it's not good. I mean, it's not great. It's just not good. Yeah. The motion of it's weird, and it ends up kind of taking you out of it. It doesn't feel like robot motion. It just feels like if the suit looks good enough, we can cheat a little bit on how well the suit moves. No right. one will I think know. the 2014 version hits a little more of the like body horror ish vibes. Eh, yeah. Because you see him like taken apart. Yeah, that was so unnecessary. It was yeah, it, it was, was not so necessary. unnecessary. So in the nineteen eighty seven version, it's very much so we start out with Peter Weller as Pete, as Murphy. And we get a lot of time with him as Alex Murphy. A fair amount, but not so much that it felt like, are, is he ever going to turn into the RoboCop guy? Yeah, it was or? like 30 minutes before he yeah, I think gets it's, shot to death. Yeah, 30 minutes. And um, wow, is that a graphic death scene or is that right. a graphic death scene? Uh, it's way better than the like, I opened my car door and we kind of saw me fly away. It was like, this man 
was murdered. Tortured. Tortured. Graphically. Horrifically. This is what and he went executed. through. And then executed. And then executed. And it's, uh, I would say that is far more body horror than seeing a guy with just like a head and a set of lungs and a hand. Yeah. Um, Because it really sets up the stakes for you about what he went through and then was used. How he gave his life yes. for... Yes, and f- the 1987 version really hits the like... Late stage capitalism, exploitation Ooh, yes. of the worker. Oh my God, like, so much better. Um, casual cynicism. Casual cynicism. Oh, so much better. Yeah. The the fact that human life is utterly meaningless in a late stage capitalism world, as long as there's enough people to keep buying products, right. that's all that matters. Or this might even be post capitalist. I mean, this is that's why we get all those cool interludes where we'll get a news story. But before we talk about the part that's relevant to Robocop, it'll be like, so this satellite, while it was starting up, accidentally incinerated like seven places around yeah. the globe and it started, started these six, wildfires. Six large wildfires, which have consumed like cities, whatever, resulting in 135 dead, including two former U.S. presidents. Yeah. And our thoughts and prayers are with them today. So on to the next news story. Right. Just the utter meaninglessness of individual human life in a system like this right and we hit it so hard and so and then while he's like waking up periodically during the like the reconstruction work yeah and they're like hey we saved the arm and he's like no we talked about this lose the arm yeah full prosthetics yeah we agreed full prosthetics now lose the arm oh we have to get him into surgery okay yeah all right we'll take his arm like, we were able to save it. I didn't want you to save it. I want him full full robot. Right. And okay. then there's a discussion about, like, can we do this? And they're like, he signed the yeah. consent forms. He signed the waivers when he got hired, when he took the position. Yeah. Um, we own him. We own him. We He's can... legally dead. He has no rights. Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. I and mean, that really sets oh, the tone for chef's, the whole thing. Chef's kiss on creating and maintaining that atmosphere in a this is what we think the future will look like in 1987 way right you know uh, we have all this technology but we still have crt tvs and that kind of stuff well, we can build full robotic police officers that look like right with like ATs, but... integrated vision computer yeah. vision in the eye and all that right and one nice effect is when we're seeing from robocop's point of view everything is slightly pixelated yeah like Ever so slightly. Like it would have been on a CRT TV. If you get yeah, too a, close to it, it all kind of fizzes out. Like computer a computer imagery on a CRT screen. Right. Looks, you, yeah, the pixels are big. Yeah. And we get Peter Weller. He gets graphically tortured and murdered. And then we get the like, they're trying to save him scene. And then they're like, well, let's call it. And we fade to black. And then we do the whole montage from his point of view of them rebuilding him, which is super cool because we get a sense of the passage of time. He's moving around and they're like, oh, he's watching us. Look. And like the lady that kisses his faceplate, just a sense of the fact that this was a person who had died. He's afforded no respect. He's treated like an object in the lab. And we go through all of that. And then they finally wake him up and he starts walking and we're still seeing it from his point of view. And the only way we see the suit is in like a camera 
uh, like a side view in a monitor off on the side of the screen. And can you imagine, like, let's put our context lenses on for a minute. You have never seen RoboCop. He is not endemic in the culture in the way RoboCop is now endemic in the culture. Mm -hmm. You don't know what that suit looks like. You don't know where we're going. You just saw this character, Peter Weller, get his arm blown off, his hand blown off, shot in the head. And now you know he's awake because you can see from his point of view that he's walking. But the big suit reveal has not happened. Right. So you just see on this screen off to the side, the suit walk by, which they would have had the camera pointing somewhere else because the point of view is a cameraman. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Like nowadays you could put a camera on the helmet or something. Yeah. And hide that and use that feed for this shot. But you'd have to construct that. Otherwise. Right. And we don't get the big suit reveal until they show up at the police department. Right. Because the police department is owned by Omni Consumer Products, OCP. So in 1987, they're Omni Consumer Products. And so because... Specifically, they're security concepts division. So because Detroit is bankrupt. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay. Detroit really did that. We're, We're both from the... Yeah, we're Detroit area. Yeah, we're from the Michigan. Detroit area. And we used to travel through there every year to go visit family. And I remember when we first started going up, we first started going up every year in like 2009. And for a good while there, it was like Mad Max. We got gas before we went into Detroit. And you had better hope you didn't need to stop for anything while you were in Detroit because you didn't want to get off the highway. It looked post-apocalyptic. It's much better now. every year it would look worse. Yeah, every year it would look worse. And then it kind of reached this like nadir of awfulness where no buildings had windows. Everything was covered in spray paint. It was, it was tough to see. And then you, we passed through it. Okay, great. And now it's sort of, it's, we're on the upslope. So the idea of a bereft Detroit that has to contract with a private security company in order to continue funding their police is uh, way more believable for me now than it would have been in 1987. Right. Yeah. Um, Because this is what, 20, 21 years before the like big bank collapse, because 2008 would be the big, right. The big, I was trying to think if there was a recession in the eighties, but I, I haven't, yeah, but not really not anything like 2008. Aware then, yeah. But anyway, that's why Omni Consumer Products is is providing RoboCop. Why they own well, the and, police, and they have a plan to rebuild. They want to build a new city, right? Well, they want to eliminate crime by making the city by making the city dependent on them for security. And so earlier we pitched the Ed 209, which is the walker. Which was, what was the ED? It was... um, Emergency. Man, if you hadn't said it, I'd have remembered it. But it's like, but it's the Ed 209. And the guy who pitches it is actually Dick Jones. Okay. So it's the enforcement droid. Okay. Enforcement droid 209. And the guy who pitches it is Doug, is a... Dick Jones, who is played by Ronnie Cox. There's a joke in there somewhere. I just can't quite 
can't quite put it together. But um, Dick Jones is kind of our big bad. If we have a big bad, it's besides crime and violence. And, it would be Dick and the Jones. system. And the system. Uh, so Dick Jones is like, here's my enforcement droid. Isn't it nice? Isn't it cool? Look, here, I'm going to give this guy a gun. Here, point it at the droid in a menacing way. So he points the, which I think it's really funny. The droid doesn't react when he holds the gun at People. Dick Jones. Yeah. Right. It only reacts when he points the gun at the droid. So when he right. points the gun at the droid, which I love this little stop motion droid. You know, this thing was probably eight inches tall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, I love 80s special effects. It's, they're always, you, you know what I love about them? The craftsmanship that went into it. Somebody had to physically build this machine. An articulable so uh, that robot. It, yeah. So that it could move in an articulated way that made sense on the camera. Which is great. It really looks like it's got like half of a microphone for its head, the metal mm -hmm. mesh, but that's okay. It's fine. And so it actually is like, okay, drop the gun. You have 30 seconds. And so he's like, oh, okay. So he drops the gun and it's like, drop the gun. You have 20 seconds. And he's like, oh shit, somebody turn it off. And, <laughs> and they're like, uh, uh, and everybody's trying to unplug it and it ends up blowing this dude up. And just keeps shooting him. I laughed so hard. I don't know what that says about me, but I was like writhing on the couch in laughter. This scene was so ridiculous. It is so gory and over the top, hyper violent. Uh, it just did not process as real. It was like, what is happening? This is a boardroom. Right. Like a boardroom for this a, a high-end. This is one of the executives that just got destroyed yeah he just got shot like shot to to pieces in this boardroom and they're all like well that needs to go back to the drawing board it didn't hear him drop the gun yeah uh, uh okay and, <laughs> and so, so we have the ceo who's less exploitative than his like vice presidents maybe well, he says, I thought this thing was ready to roll out. If, right. You if we made don't a have, mistake. Yeah, if we don't have it out soon, it's going to cost us like $50 million just in, in interest payments. Right. Not, you murdered a dude. Right. Nobody is upset. No. Like, the only thing people are upset about is that they personally were at risk. Yeah, and that the droid didn't that work. Got, that yeah. the droid didn't work. And this Which, is when... why did you... You were bringing this thing into the executive boardroom for a practical demo. Why did you give it live ammo for um, the demo? I don't know. But we know in real life, CEOs don't always think through their demonstration. Remember when Elon was trying to make the Tesla truck and he said that oh, yeah, the windows were... Oh, yeah, threw the steel ball at it. The windows were completely shatterproof and he shattered the window. Yeah, and yeah. he said they'd been throwing steel balls at it all afternoon. Yeah. And they're like, uh, yeah, we probably shouldn't have done that. Right. right we shouldn't have been throwing balls at it for, like, hours before the demo. <laughs> right. I mean, poor choice. Yeah. Right. Okay. So poor choices were made, but honestly, nobody cares. And in fact, Bob Morton, who's played by Miguel Ferrer, he is, he sees his opportunity and he inserts himself into this conversation and he's like, oh, oh, I've got it. 
um, I've come up with a whole plan where we create like a man inside a machine. And they're like, oh, great. How long is that going to take? And he says, we have rearranged the police force to put like skilled police officers in high risk positions. Yeah. Candidates. We expect to have a volunteer in 90 days. No, he said, once we get a volunteer, yeah. we can have a prototype. Yeah. in ni- We can have him to prototype yeah. in 90 days. So basically, I stacked the board so that someone is going to get messy dead, and then I'm going to be able to turn that guy into a robot. And right. they're like, great, perfect. And this is right after we met Murphy. Yeah. And he's showed up for his first day on the job at this new precinct. Right. Oh, why they move you? What brings you here? Oh, I don't know. They're just moving people around. Ding, ding, ding. And then we get this line from Bob Morton. Right. Oh, oh, oh. they're they're bringing like skilled candidates yeah. into the most dangerous precinct. Right. Specifically to get a horrifically maimed police officer yeah. that then they they can then rebuild into a cyborg. Right. And what they just said is we are deliberately attempting to murder police officers on the job. We're not killing them. We're putting them in a position where they are likely to be killed so that we can use them for our research. Right. And the the response time for calling in backup is, I'm sure, artificially Extended. delayed. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. to keep the cops at risk right which wow wow and they keep going yeah it just keeps getting shittier and the everyone knows it is the problem the police officers know they are cannon fodder Mm -hmm. on in this war on crime and that's why during most of the movie they are threatening a strike like we are the ones because they have a union well, they have a union and like we're the ones standing between people and like imminent death, imminent crime. And we're dying like we lost four this week because we're owned by a private security company that doesn't give a shit about us. They're just throwing more and more meat into the meat grinder. This is ridiculous. But Murphy, of course, gets turned into RoboCop. And, and he, they wipe his memory. Yeah, they wipe everything. He's just a vehicle for the hardware. He's the software for the hardware. That's it. Right. He brings the the practical procedural knowledge right. to the robot. Right. You don't have to program an AI if you just put a person in the suit. Um, he's mostly not there. He's all robot. His only organ. Although he bleeds when they stab him in the chest. Right, because he still has, like, internal organs. Yeah. The 2014 RoboCop is basically just a head and lungs and heart. Right, which we don't talk about how that's... Yeah, that's fine. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Right. And they... But yeah, he the, must because he eats like a paste. But this RoboCop eats a paste. Yeah, Like, there's so enough must, of his yeah. digestive system left. Right. And so the big suit reveal is when they take him to the police precinct. and Bring the, him in the side door. Right. And we see... Even this is like a phased reveal because yeah. we see him just the like top lattice right. of this half wall. This is, I mean, this would have been highly impactful in the theater in 1987 to see this 
this is going to look really cool. And we yeah. really slowly eke it out to you. And we really start with, this guy's a robot. There's nothing yep. human except his mouth, which I'm pretty sure Peter Weller got the job because he has such a strong chin. But, and cheekbones. And cheekbones. But like, that's it. This is He's a robot with a man mouth. That's it. It's all, it's all we've got. Right. That's, uh, that's the only skin that you can see. Right. He him. sounds like a robot. He acts like a robot. That he's a robot. He has like a dock he sits in. They tell him, when you are at rest, you will sit in this seat. Okay. Here's the paste he eats. It's basically just baby food. Don't like, don't mess with it. He's, he's just an auto, he's a, a completely leashed non entity who has no agency. He's just a robot. And they end up taking him out. He goes out to do police stuff, which he has three directives. Uphold the law. Protect the innocent. All right. He has three directives. One, serve the public trust. Yeah, that's it. Two, protect the innocent. Three, uphold the law. And that's it. Those are his, like... Except for laws of robotics, secret fourth directive, and then they're just like, "Well, that's probably going to be fine. Go ahead, go on, go do your thing." Get him a car. Get him a car. So they send him out, and he goes on a crime fighting spree. Which I'm just imagining, watching this, just him go around doing stuff. There's just like a crew of like five or six police cars. Cleaning up him after around. him. Yeah, cleaning up. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, isn't there a super, I think maybe the Incredibles, where they actually get sued for all the property damage they cause. Yeah. While saving people. Yep. Yeah, because he stops the one guy from taking the money from the register, which I guess they actually, you know, the movie or the television show, they're always watching the I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah. They filmed that. They, they they filmed that separately to show on the TVs. Okay. So when Ann Lewis, his partner, who's played by Nancy Allen, or is she Nancy Allen? No, Nancy Allen, who plays Ann Lewis. When she arrived on the set, they mm-hmm. were filming that, and she thought that was the movie. And she was like, um, I actually don't want to do this. And they're like, no, 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 this is not the movie. This is just like the stupid sitcom we're going to be playing on the TV all the time. That right. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine showing up and being like, oh, shit, this is not what I signed up for. Which I guess it took a really long time to get this movie made. Everybody who got it basically threw it away, including the guy who got this script, the guy who directed it. Mm-hmm. He threw it away and his wife picked it up and read it. And she was like, this isn't just a like movie monster film this has a lot of nuance and a lot of like this is about a man's journey back to being a man right and he was like oh oh, okay then i'll do it it's fine so this is our most like our most robocop moment we're peak robocop he's not murphy in any way right now vision of robocop right where he's just first drive out right just out fighting crime doing what needs to be done Kicking ass, being cool. That's what uh, Bob Morton keeps telling him. He's like, you're so fucking cool. You're so badass. You're so like, you're a badass motherfucker is what he keeps telling him. Yeah. Um, Which I was looking at IMDb and they had a red bar for profanity. And I was like, (laughs) is there a lot? And it was right the part where he goes into the mini mart to save 
the couple that are getting robbed. And yeah. the guy's like, fuck me, fuck me. And I was like, oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's right there. Okay, yeah, there's a lot of profanity. Um, and then he shoots the guy in the dick, which is, of course, iconic. That's Matt was like, you got to watch RoboCop. He shoots a we, guy in the dick. Yeah, we were, <laughs> we were watching the 2014 one. And then Rachel said... Oh, I hadn't seen the original one before. I was like, you've never seen the original RoboCop? Okay, we have to watch the original RoboCop. So I showed her a picture. Someone had a t-shirt. Yeah, they took a picture like, with Peter Weller. Yeah. It, yeah. Remember that time RoboCop shot that dude in the dick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess they weren't supposed to do that. And then they realized the way she was being held, he could. And they were like, yeah, let's do that. That would yeah. be good. I mean, it's great. It's iconic. It's oh, a, yeah. It's a perfect, like, yeah, he took the shot that he needed to take. And there was nothing personal about it. He wasn't shooting right, the dude is, in the dick. That was exemplary of the fact that this isn't a machine doing things in the most obvious, clear, like, algorithmic way right. to solve the problem. This is a guy who has years of experience as a cop and just off the cuff improvisation yeah problem solving yeah he was a good cop he was a good cop and that's what makes him a good cop robot and and so he saw the opportunity oh head mm, that's a little risky you know a few inches either way and i shoot her in the head yeah if i try to shoot him between her legs Eh, and I probably got about six inches either way. Right. And if I accidentally hit her instead, it's just her leg. Right. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And I do like how he's like, you were the victim of an assault. I will get you uh, help. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, will, will I will take you to counselor. a treatment center. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's great. This is perfect. And then he goes back and he goes to sleep. And this is when we get our dream. And he's dreaming about his life. And we know he had a wife and kids because that's what he was seeing when he was dying, which I did like that imagery. First, he sees them. They're in the house and then they're outside and then he's retreating down the road because yeah. he's dying. And he remembers his wife, his family. He remembers he remembers his death. He remembers who he was in this dream. A feeling of it. A feeling, a sense of it. Yeah. A, a sense of what it was like to be more than a robot, to be yeah. human too. And his partner has already recognized him at this point, Ann Lewis, because at he the did, shooting range. Because he did the flip the gun and then put it away thing. Yeah. Because he did that because his son thought that looked cool. Right. He did that on his first day. Right. Going out with Ann Lewis. Right. And she sees it and she's like, oh shit, that's Murphy. And so he gets up from his dream and he's leaving because his system, his software that they have given him is not designed to handle a dream. They didn't expect him to dream. Too much data. Right. And so he's he's got to go. He's got he's got he's just got to walk this off. And she interrupts him while he's walking down. And she's like, what's your name? My name's Officer Lewis. What's your name? And he's like, how can I help you, ma'am? And she's like, no, that's not what I asked. I asked you what your name was. And then she sees that they're coming and they're going to break him up. And she's like, Murphy, I know you're in there, Murphy. And Planting then he just the seed. Yep. And then he just leaves. Regrowth. And then we go on a, another kind of. Um, rampage. I don't want to call it a rampage, but like a cop outing, a a, a ramble, a, a walkabout, where a enforcement walkabout. Except this time, it's a little bit more as Murphy and a little bit less as RoboCop. 
because if there's something the 1987 version does, it's really explore the idea of what it would be like to turn a man into a robot and try to convince that man he was a robot. Is the part of you that is essentially human going to survive? Where is that? If I take away both your arms, I take away your legs, I rebuild your entire body, but I leave your, I leave, can, if I leave enough, will you still be essentially you? Right. If I leave enough of your brain yeah. for you to retain the skills of a cop, yeah. how much is that separate from who you are as a person? Right. Will you eventually, will who you are eventually reassert itself no matter what you try? We Probably. don't know. Yeah. We don't yeah. know. That's what we're yeah, talking they about expect in RoboCop. No problem. Yeah. They expect we've erased his memory. We've wiped it. He's, he's ours. There's nothing that could possibly go wrong. And yet, even though he doesn't have the memories of what happened to him, clear memories of what happened to him, he has the sense that he used to be more or he used to be different. And so that's what we're exploring when he goes out this time. He ends up meeting one of the people that killed him. Yep. One of the crew. One of the crew. And he tells him, you're coming with me dead or alive, which is the same line he used. When they met at the steel mill, he says, you're coming with me, dead or alive. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if there was uh, two scenes where he met um, accomplices. I think it's pretty much that one. I think he encounters the first guy. Yeah. And that's what triggers him to remember, oh, shoot, you know. Well, that guy tells him, he gives him information. He's like, we killed you, man. You're dead. We killed you. At the gas station. And that's what he keeps playing back for himself. And then he ends up capturing that guy and arresting him. And then that's when he goes in and he does the like hand spike. Computer. Computer plug thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'd love it. It would be accurate if he put the spike in, but it was the wrong way. He had to take it out, flip it over, (laughs) put the spike back in again. (laughs) Sorry. I saw a funny joke about the guy who invented the USB. That that's what they're going to do with this coffin is lower it partway in, then just take it out, turn it around and put it all the way in. Because <laughs> you well, always then, put then a you, USB port in the wrong Then you take it out direction. and put it back the first way, but yeah, it works this time. It works this time. So he, he looks up the guy. And this is where he sees the known accomplices, including Clarence Bedecker, who is played by Kurt Wood Smith. Or Red from that 70s Red show. <laughs> he looks just like he the looks same He looks exactly dude. the same. He even has the same glasses. I mean, it's hard to see him as the villain i mean he's a pretty good villain but you're like oh that's not you you need to find your wife and settle down yeah it it was a more he was a more convincing villain before i had seen that 70s show right but this is when he goes after him and he ends up finding him he goes on this is more of his ramble he goes on like a walk and finds this guy and He's trying to convince this Coke dealer, this cocaine dealer, to give him, like, a deal. You need to give me a deal. Oh, yeah. This is Boddicker at the, like, packaging facility. Right. And I think at this point we already know that... Do we already know that he works for Dick Jones at this point? Because have we murdered Bob Morton already? Because in through all of this, there's the the classic 80s cutthroat corporation hotshots plotline. It's the same plot line from American Psycho. It's the plot line in this. It's the plot line in Die yeah, the, Hard. Yeah, the real like uh, executive competitive yeah. f- vibe. Yeah. 
the at I, the top of these corporations is so cutthroat. We literally get each other murdered. Right. They're yeah. literally psychopaths. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> are they wrong? Yeah. So we get we get Bob Morton pisses off Dick Jones. Right. And Dick Jones murder. Dick Jones has Clarence murder Bob Morton. Right. And, and so that's we're like, where we find out. Oh, shit. They're all working together. Honestly, I just want to get to the Coke factory because the funniest part of this is when RoboCop shows up and they all pull guns out of the cocaine. And it's just like <laughs> these just clouds of cocaine clouds of covering cocaine. everybody. <laughs> It was the 80s. That's fine. That was like Wednesday. It didn't matter. It was fine. It was fine. <laughs> and he ends up throwing Clarence Bedecker through three panes of glass. I counted. He throws him through a window. He goes in to ask him questions. He throws him through another window. He must just run out of windows after a while. Yeah. And Clarence is like, don't you get it? I work for Dick Jones. I work for Dick Jones. I work for Omnicorp. Like right. I, I'm I, protected. I'm protected. And then he he goes to talk to because he ends up getting out of prison because he brings him in he books him and he like spits blood on the counter whatever on the intake paperwork. on the intake paperwork and he ends up getting out of course because he works for Dick Jones he's protected he literally is and um Dick Jones gives him like hand cannons like super anti assault weaponry like right. To, yeah, to, to, to he's take like, you down guys RoboCop? have to destroy Robocop. Well, this yeah, is because he's like, you Robocop idiot. Everything you said to him, he recorded after after Robocop Murphy turned Clarence in at the police station. He then went to Omnicorp yeah. and confronted Dick Jones. He did. He was like, uh, he said you worked for him. I'm all the way to the top now. Let's let's head in. And Dick Jones is like, sorry, objective four. You can't touch me because he can't actively work against anybody who works for omnicorp right any of the omnicorp executives and this is when he gets <laughs> they send ed 209 after him and he just <laughs> goes down the stairs <laughs> <laughs> and defeats ed 209 it's like this is so good and this really... is like the uh in doctor who yeah there was a gag about daleks yeah they can't go down daleks the stairs not going down the stairs yeah and then in the new Doctor Who. They can fly. They can fly. So I love how when it's on its back, it's like... Right, it's like squealing like a... <laughs> like a, like a, a pig or something. I don't know what... what the, I know they used a jaguar for its growl. I don't okay. know what they used for its distress sound. You'd think it would a just gerbil. be like, like, I'm in distress. Like, please contact emergency services so that I can be put upright again or whatever. Right. But instead it's like... Saddest sound in the world. <laughs> yeah. So then Robocop escapes. Oh, he escapes. And, yeah. And then Dick Jones brings up Clarence. Right. And he's like, Clarence, you messed up. Right. You said too much. He's a cyborg. His memory is admissible as evidence. Right. He recorded everything you said. Yeah. You uh, asshole. You need to go destroy right. this thing. And through. And Clarence is like, you mean you made this thing and I have to clean up your mess? Yeah, that's, yes, accurate. Yeah, No, actually, Bob Morton made it and now I need you to get right. it. Right, and Dick Jones wants to get rid of RoboCop because Dick Jones... Wants Ed 209 to be the... Yeah, yeah he, the he spearheaded the Ed 209 project. Right. And yeah, that's what he... He wants his project to succeed. Right. So he can get the big bonus. Yes, yep, exactly. And running through all of this, the... 
the underlying glue that is really pulling this is elevating this above just like the standard 80s badass lone wolf cop drama is the fact that RoboCop is waking up because then he realizes where he lived. He finds his own like death. Right. When he goes thing. to the computer room, yeah. he finds his deceased record right. and his address and he really focuses on the address. Right. And he goes to his house and it's for sale and it's empty and his wife and child are gone because they think he's dead. And he has flashes of memories of what it was like to live in that house, but none of it is real to him because he doesn't have the full memory. Right. He doesn't have any. He has the impression of it, it, but he doesn't have any more context for those memories. And, but he is slowly using it to rebuild himself. It's like in Murderbot, when Murderbot accidentally almost destroys its own consciousness. Yeah. And the way they get it back is by showing it episodes of. It's the favorite show. Sanctuary Moon. Mm-hmm. And through all that, it is able to provide itself context. So what and RoboCop reassemble is... reassemble the pieces of itself. Yeah. So what RoboCop is desperately seeking at this point is context. And, and identity. And identity. That's why it's trying to solve its own murder. And it ends up... This was really... I mean, this part was really sad. When it gets shot at Omnicorp... Mm-hmm. Because it's trying to escape. I mean, but Dick Jones has framed it as the bad guy at this point. So they own the police. All they have to do is tell the police that, hey, RoboCop, remember how RoboCop was helping you out? And he went to visit elementary schools and everybody loved him. Well, now he's the bad guy. And they're like, okay, you sign the checks. And so he ends up getting shot. And this part was really sad because he's like down on the ground. This single moment when he walks out. flopping through the levels of the parking garage right but this moment where he walks out and all of the police lights turn on one by one had more emotion than the entirety of the 2014 robocop i felt for robocop more deeply in that moment than i felt for the robocop in 2014 at any fucking point in the entire movie right because the tiny grain of identity that it has is i am a robot police officer thing yeah i am a member of this police force right i uphold the law i ensure the public trust i am the good guy these are my people and now they're shooting it and then betrayal and it doesn't know why and it ends up escaping kind of but then ann lewis officer lewis puts him in the back of the car and she ends up saving him because she alone realizes that this isn't a robot. This is a person. Right. This is not a rogue asset. This is Murphy. And so she takes him back to the steel mill. And at this is the point where he finally removes his helmet. And so this is where really narratively we transition from RoboCop to Murphy. To he is now the scale has tipped back towards human far enough that he no longer wants a robotic face. Right. And we see we see these long screws come yeah. out of the side of his head. And then he takes off the helmet and we see his head is like a robot head with Murphy's skin stretched over it. Right. And that's that's him. And oh my god. 
1987 effects. I love you. This is so cool. This whole thing they have attached to the back of the actor's head. And then the way they seamlessly blend his skin in around it. Into the framing of the right. metal. And we aren't going murky lighting to hide all of this. He's out in the sunlight. It it was right. as exposed as your makeup job can possibly be. This is not, I just saw The Little Mermaid. The new The Little Mermaid. And spoiler alert, Ursula's, Ursula's the bad guy. I don't know if you didn't know that, but Ursula's the bad squid person anyway so there's a part at the end you know where she gets really big mm-hmm. and she's whatever it was so dark i had no idea what was going on and do you know why it's that dark so the cg can be shitty and no one will notice mm. because you can hide a lot with some dark atmosphere but to risk putting this prosthetic this face makeup out in the sunlight was a good choice, a bold choice, and I think it pays off. I think it's part of why the movie ages the way it does. And the fact that that is Peter Weller in the suit. I think there's maybe one moment when he's about to get shot in the head where you can tell they've switched to an animatronic puppet. But fine. I'm fine with it. I'm cool with it. And he has Lewis help him recalibrate his aiming. He figures out how to use this body in the way Peter in the way that um, Alex Murphy would have used this body. Right. Like he's fixing his knee. Yeah. And, you know, just getting things working again. Yeah. He's after all the damage from getting shot. He's kind of like putting himself back together metaphorically and literally. And unfortunately for him, he has a tracking device and the police have gone on strike. So he and Officer Lewis are pretty much on their own. And... Dick Jones gave the tracker to Clarence. Right. So they have weaponry capable of destroying him. They have a way of finding him and there's no one to stop them. The stakes could not be higher. And so they show up and um, he pretty much just straight up murders them all. I mean, there's kind yeah, of a battle. Much. Yeah. But most of the most of it's just like, thanks for showing up. I'm going to kill you all now. The weirdest, grossest one is the guy that gets in the toxic waste. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yet another hit on the post-capitalist yeah. disregard for human safety. Right. This abandoned steel mill just has a tank full of toxic waste capable of, like, melting your skin and giving you instant cancer all at the same time. <laughs> and this guy runs into it. And now this toxic waste is everywhere, right? Right. Is out. But I was like, oh, great. Now he's going to have superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> you just created a supervillain. You just created a supervillain. Uh, no, he's like disintegrating from this toxic waste. Like his when, hand is melting and you can see the finger bones yeah, sticking out. Yeah, because when Clarence hits him, it's like an explosion it's, of liquefied tissue. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so gross. <laughs> The only really unbelievable, I mean, God, just let's just, (laughs) the really only unbelievable part is that there's still power to power the crane. Right. Yeah, because the one guy They mentioned before that it's an abandoned steel mill. Right. I mean, come on. Is there power to the crane? There's not power to the crane. But it's fine. Whatever. Who cares? So they end up, you know, stuff happens. Almost everybody's dead. And then they crush RoboCop with a big pile of scrap metal. Yep. And... Luckily, Officer Lewis ends up shooting the 
crane operator station and killing the last bad guy. Except for Clarence. Except for Clarence. And Clarence stabs him through the arm and he leans in to tell him something. And Robocop sticks out his computer spike and jams it in the side of his head. And this piece of tissue like falls <laughs> down and splats on him. It's like, uh, here, here's what I think happened. Okay, there was a special effects person. Yeah. Above RoboCop with like a sponge soaked with fake blood. And he dropped the sponge. And he stabs his hand up and the special effects guy squeezes the sponge to like drip blood down. Yeah. And then drops the sponge. <laughs> That's what it looked like. I was like, <laughs> you know, there's this. It even makes a splat noise. There's this theory that overall movies have become more tame over time. So if you look in the 70s, there's a lot more graphic sex scenes. There's a lot more nudity, like the opening to Carrie, where there's teenage girls straight up like full frontal nudity running around to like that's the opening credit scene. And then we get a lot more horror, a lot more just like disgusting gore in mainstream movies. I mean, yes, there's still Mandy. There's still some of these more like body horror movies, but they are like fringe as opposed to um, some of the more like mainstream movies that came out in the 70s that have these like just graphic gory moments or like graphic nudity. And you forget about it until you watch a movie like 19, like this RoboCop from 1987, where we have a lot of casual tits out. I think I saw like six sets of boobs. And then it is so gory. Like the guy getting shot up at the beginning. Everyone who gets blown to pieces. The guy who melts from the toxic waste. And then like a chunk of flesh falling and hitting RoboCop's suit. And then every time somebody gets shot, the squib is un like insane. It flies out and it has this like huge right. spray pattern. <laughs> okay, this is action movies in the eighties, and you know what? I don't watch enough. I don't watch a ton of action movies. I watch a lot of the more like dramatic, dramatic fantasy, sci-fi, yeah. some horror, but it's more psychological horror. So I don't get exposed to all the like. I mean, maybe Kill Bill, but other than that, even Kill Bill, I would argue, is less is tamer than yes. this because yeah, the gore is cleaner right because he pulls the thing out and then like blood starts fountaining out the side <laughs> of clarence's neck and and then he just rolls off and robocop just or murphy just sits up and he's like are you okay officer lewis and she's like uh i need some help and he's like it's okay they'll fix you they can fix anything and then he gets And then up. he just moves the steel beam off of himself. Right. And then we are continuing our he's a badass motherfucker theme. And him being Murphy has made him more badass. Right. Yeah. The combination of a human mind and a robot body is far superior than a robot and a, in a robot body. Like, right. And Rachel has not seen RoboCop 2. No, I have not. So we arrive at the um, we arrive back at Omnicorp. Because, um, or Omni Consumer Products, because the police are on strike, they're kind of meeting to have a discussion about it, and they have an Ed 209 guarding the building. And so you're like, oh no, there's going to be another showdown. And then he just pulls out the anti-tank gun and just shoots it and it explodes. Doesn't he have a pithy line here? 
feel like he has a pithy line here. Like Probably. Yeah. yeah. And then he just goes inside. And, and then, then we, we see, see the legs. robot legs like step in. It's like, oh, wait, wait, did it? Is this another one? Yeah. Did this one is the other one actually functional? But then it's just its legs. Yeah, it's just its legs. And he ends up going up and he's like dicta he walks into the meeting all covered in blood, chunks of tissue, fluid, all kinds of shit. And he proclaims to yeah, the Murphy's board. like, Dick Jones is the bad guy, but I can't arrest him because I am prohibited from acting against anyone who works at any officers of products. OCP. And so he sticks out his little computer probe, which is still covered in blood, by the way. Right. And the CEO is like, do you have any proof? Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll show you the proof. Yep. And so he just loads it into the computers or the the CRT TVs in the wall. <laughs> and they all show Dick Jones being like, yeah, I murdered Bob Morton because he was an asshole and he got out of control. And now I'm going to kill you, too. And then he just plays it on a loop. And this is when Dick Jones is like, oh, shit, my goose is cooked. So he runs over and grabs the old man who has no other name. He's just the head of the company. He's called the old man. And he's holding him up in front of him like a human shield. And he's like, you can't do anything to me. I'm going to go up to the helipad. I'm going to escape. I have so much money. No one's ever going to find me. This is going to be fine. And the old man is like, Dick, you're fired. And then drops. (laughs) Drops. And Robocop goes, thank you. Or Murphy says, thank you. And he shoots Dick Jones graphically out the window. Because if the 80s loved anything more than tits and over overuse of gore, it was throwing people off of buildings. Especially the bad guy. Especially And the watching bad guy. them fall to the ground. Yes. And that's the end. That is the end. It Boop. is literally the end. Um, we get no further context. We don't know what happens to him. We don't know if Omni Consumer Products is going to fix him. We don't know what happened to Officer Lewis. Nothing. But it's fine. I'm happy with it. I'm, I'm happy with how that ended. He lost his life. He lost the life that he had. And he even mentions, like, I can feel my wife and son, but I have no memory of them. And this emotional journey that we went on with RoboCop in the setting of this 80s hyper-violent action movie in a, like, cynical, post-apocalyptic, post-consumerism world was chef's kiss like i'm here for this this was everything i wanted if it had just been like wow look at this dude who's a robot and he can blow shit up i'm not here i'm not that's not the movie i enjoy but this was great we you can there's so much nuance you can and if you just want to watch it and it's a look at this badass robot dude who blows shit up it's that that movie too. you can do that movie too that's fine A lot of the reviews I was reading about RoboCop mentioned that it's also a commentary on American culture, on the overcapitalism, the de-influencing of the importance of human life in the face of profit. Also, the the intercut news scenes absolutely break up the movie in the perfect way they need to be broken up because they they keep us in the tone. In the world. In the world. Every time you think we're about to leave that tone, we get one of these news broadcasts where they're like, well, a bunch of people died today, but it's sad. We're all thinking about them. Okay, let's talk about what Omnicore Products is doing today. Like, great. It's perfect. Here's what the top critic consensus is. While over the top and gory, RoboCop is also a surprisingly smart sci-fi flick that uses ultraviolence to disguise its satire of American culture. Love it. Yep. I would say that's completely accurate. 
Now on to the 2014 RoboCop. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. High level comparing to the 1987 RoboCop. The, it's much more, a, as much a, as it is a commentary, um, it's not as deep. And it's more on the military industrial complex where, uh, where 1987 OCP is in the private law enforcement business. And they're trying to eventually, they, they mention that the ED 209s, they mention that the ED 209s would be great for local law enforcement and in the future would be great for military applications. Whereas in 2014, they already have deployed, I don't know, armies of these um, fully automated. Yeah, the Ed 209 combat... is like a done thing. They're everywhere. Right. They all have the Ed the 209s, but then they also have a yeah. humanoid, fully automated robot that are involved in peacekeeping peacekeeping efforts in like Iran or something. Quote unquote peacekeeping. Yes. Yeah. Quote unquote. Yes. Yes. Uh yeah, that opening so the opening news sequence was successful. I will say that. Samuel L. Jackson as uh Tucker Carlson was yeah. <laughs> basically um was part it was great. Like that was good. The fact that we were talking to this you that know, reporter the, on the ground. The more you know twenty yeah. first century news vibe. Yeah, the reporter on the ground who's like, yes, these things, you know, these Ed 209, I don't think, are they Ed 209s? I don't think they give them a name. But these things that are Ed 209, they patrol the streets, they stop people, they scan for threats. It really makes everybody feel safe and secure and comfortable. Meanwhile, it's like apocalyptic. There's robots roaming the street with arm with like large weapons just stopping people at random and forcing them to like undergo a scan and they're like oh it's so nice it really just makes everybody feel so comfortable there's hardly any crime yeah because you could just be killed for like nothing and then we have right. suicide bombers taking them out in the background and she's like well back to you and it just goes back to him like yeah you know uh that was fine and he's like okay well you know, we're, we're going to cut our feed from there for security reasons. But in the meantime, let's talk about the Dreyfus Act, because it's a debate in Congress whether we should be allowed to use machines for enforcement, for law enforcement in the United Fully States. Fully automated yeah. machines that are currently in use in a combat slash peacekeeping role with the military. Yeah. Yeah, can we use, can those we use those here on the streets of American cities? And the Dreyfus Act is an attempt to legislate a ban, a ban on that on yes. the automated robotic law enforcement. Right, because at the very beginning, we're seeing a like Senate hearing with um, Senator Dreyfus and um, Michael Keaton's character Raymond Sellers, who is the CEO of OCP. Yeah, which in they changed the name a little bit it's to Omnicore. Omnicore. Yeah. And Senator Dreyfus is like, yes, but what would your robot feel if it accidentally shot someone? And he's like, oh, no, no, we have like, they're, they're the top of the line product. He's like, that's not the question I asked. I asked you, what would it feel? And he has to admit it would feel nothing because it's a robot. And he's right. like, and that is why they will not be allowed on the streets. Because it wouldn't, it, 
It wouldn't feel guilty. Right, because the role of, ostensibly, the role of police is to serve the public. Yeah. Not as a gun-wielding, right. you know, rule-enforcing entity. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the, if you had, like, a domestic violence situation, the best a robot could do would be to go in and threaten the aggressor and maybe take the the person being abused away but they wouldn't be able to navigate the situation in a way that a human would right where you could separate them without violence or are there children let's get the children out do you need a moment to pack something all the kinds of stuff that a human police officer would be able to intuit because they would able be able to empathize a robot cannot empathize so in terms of an opening sequence this was great okay Right. And then they we really set the tone. Yeah. And then we introduced the character of Dennett Norton, Dr. Dennett Norton, who is played by Gary Oldman because he works at a. Um... He does robotic prosthetics. Right. And, and he... he's like the cutting edge in the field. Yeah. He's the best. And he's, for the most part, an altruistic person. Right. And he gets to play the role of the person who in the first act states the theme because he's sitting there with the guy playing the guitar. And he's like, just relax, just use your hands, because he's got prosthetic hands. He's like, use your hands like you normally would, you should be able to play. And as soon as he starts getting into the music, it stops working. And he's like, no, no, you have to calm down. You can't use, emotion will, will yeah, interfere. Yeah, if there's too much emotion, it'll interfere with the, the system that Yeah, with the way it's working. The and the guy goes, prosthetics. I can't play without emotion. I there need you go. my emotion to play. That was the play. entire theme yep. of the movie. You need your emotion to be a good cop, but if you if if you have emotion, you can't be a good robot. There we go. And it all goes downhill from there. I would argue. Because yeah. they're pretty much like, okay, well, what if we put a dude in a suit? So this feels like the Robocop narrative. Yeah. But like twenty or thirty years earlier. In the in the culture, we aren't. Oh, like, oh, I thought you meant like earlier than 1987. I was like, what? Oh, you no. mean like we're not quite post consumerism. We're right. like, we're yeah, we're close not close to it. Right. We're. Yeah. The Dreyfus Act is someone noticing, oh, hey, we're really going towards like devaluing individual humans and the right. value of like human autonomy but we're trying to stop that and we're trying to stop yeah. that yeah and then we have peter seller not peter um, <laughs> raymond sellers yes being the the spearhead for the post-capitalist right. dystopian world right. of the 1987 yes. movie and just like we have dispensed with the idea of the intrepid reporter the intrepid reporter is a trope that pops up in most the 80s movies, 90s movies. You don't see it now at all. The board of cutthroat executive dudes who who spend most of the movie driving the plot with their just like dick measuring contests. That's gone as well. Right. It's just one. It's one charismatic leader. Yes. Of a company. It's Elon Musk. It's Jeff Be Bezos. It's our idea of the one man entrepreneur started this company, runs this company, knows everything, fingers in everything, no longer requiring a board. 
And that's our that's how we've updated the company. Right. We've updated to our modern idea of a company. And we also have like a press secretary and a couple other people around, including Elizabeth Bennett from the BBC Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. She's in it a couple of she's in it. She's like his female press secretary. And we also have Jay Baruchel. I like Jay Baruchel in one movie. This is the end where he plays himself. And I'm not sure I've ever seen another movie where I was like, wow, that was a successful casting choice. Yeah. Maybe The Sorcerer's Apprentice, if you want to call that movie successful at all. I mean, it was (laughs) fine. It was cute. It was entertaining. It wasn't life-changing, but it was fine. Um, He's okay in that. But everything else that I've seen him in, I'm like, I just don't. I don't think he was a good choice. And I don't think he was a good choice for this. Right. He kind of plays the. He gives off a a similar vibe as Bob Morton in the 1987 version, as he's like, he's coming up with these interesting ideas that would sell really well to the public. And he's pitching them to the leader of the company. Right. But he's just something about the way his acting, I think, just. He's one mm-hmm. of those people that plays the same character in everything. And you can either go like that's successful and that works for you. Um, Cause there's definitely actors who have made that work for them. Or you can, you can not lean into that and you can keep taking these roles that are antithetical to who you normally play and you're just not successful in them. And it goes either way. And I think this was a choice where he was trying to stretch himself and he wasn't stretchy right. he was in the way he playing wanted to be ahead of marketing. Yeah. But he plays socially awkward characters. Right. So he's a socially awkward head of marketing. Yeah, it's not great. It's right. okay, well we'll just put that to rest. But he's the one that like pitches the idea. Like, well, we did have this idea about like a guy in a suit and we just need somebody. So they end up um like what, Alex yeah, Murphy. What if we put a person in one of the robots. Right. And I'm not sure if Joel Kinnaman set out for his career to be a white guy playing a character who really should have been played by an ethnic character. Or if that's just what if that's how he woke up in the morning. Because in Altered Carbon, he's Takashi. He's supposed yes. to be a Asian fellow. Half Russian, half Japanese. And I have to say his use of, is it A-A-V-E? African American Vernacular English. Yes. His use of A-A-V-E at the beginning of this movie was like nails on a chalkboard. It was a struggle to listen to. Like I get you're supposed to be, you know, downtown Detroit, inner city cop. But that was a bad choice for the voice that they gave him. Whether he chose that voice or whether the director requested that voice or whatever, that was a poor choice. Because Which, this was almost 10 years ago now, too. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the, I guess the conversation around it is maybe a little bit different. But it just felt it didn't feel like it fit the character. And it did not endear the character to me. And you need me to love this character. If you want me to have any kind of an emotional connection with him through the rest of this movie. And since we laid no groundwork in getting anybody, 
somehow in the hour and a half that we spend with Alex Murphy before he actually becomes RoboCop, I never gave a shit about Alex Murphy. Right. Whereas in the 1987 RoboCop, we get like 30 to 45 minutes with Alex Murphy. Yeah. And we get moments like him spinning, putting his gun away. Right. And him saying, oh... Yeah, my kid thought it looks cool, so I learned how to do it. And right. I, I just keep it up because my kid yeah. likes it. And it's I like, kind of okay. think it looks cool, too. So Right. And yeah. so then you'd be like, oh, okay, here's a very short scene, and it conveys, I have a family. Yeah. I enjoy spending time with my family. They're important to me. And I do frivolous things just for the value of making my child happy. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're like oh, instantly okay. into your YouTube I'm, character. I'm here for that, and so they do. They end up. They have to get Dennett Norton on board. They have to get Gary Oldman on board. And at first, Gary Oldman's like, at first he's like, we've talked about this you, before. You told me I'd never be working on military stuff, and he's like, it's not military. It's law enforcement. That's different. And which it should be. Literally, Dennett Norton goes, oh, okay. Well. Here, here's what he does. Oh, that's, that's yeah. That's, you make a fair point. We, we kind of get the feeling that he's constantly having to work to justify the investment of funding into his project. Yeah. And so he's like, well, one, this isn't a military application. It's a law enforcement application. So there's your primary objection. Right. It's not a, yeah, I'm, I'm still keeping my promise that you will not have to work on military applications. Right. Okay. First objection resolved. Now I'm going to throw in 10 years of funding. You don't even need to try. And I'm going to give you more money guaranteed for 10 years yeah. if you do this for me. He's like, well, you make a convincing like, argument. Mm. I think I'm going to go. Yep. All right. I guess that's. Yeah. So so law enforcement isn't the same as military, you say. Oh, OK. Yep. And you know what? That's it. He just checked his morals at the door. He forgot the locker combination. He never even went back to try and find uh, he, him. He tries to relate to Murphy during the whole process as a person. And as a contrast to the post-capitalist exploitation of the individual into a product mm -hmm. of Alex Murphy turning into RoboCop. In this one, it's, hey, uh, Clara, Murphy's wife, your husband was very badly injured. We're going to go through all of the injuries. Yeah. Like his eyes are messed up. He'll be blind. Um, you know, his legs are gone or whatever. Anyway, he, he won't be able Shit's to do anything. Up and it ain't going to get better. But we have a project. And we need somebody who's horrifically maimed yeah. to work on it. And he's the perfect candidate because we want somebody who's like a good person and a good cop to, to you know, yeah. be the person who gets the benefits of this project. Right. And we just need you to sign off. And she's like, fuck no. And then she eventually changes her mind. But then uh, we get, like, gradual development of his robot body and until he wakes up 
in a lab. Yeah. And he's like, where am I? And he starts having an emotional reaction. Yeah. And Dennett's like, no, 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 let him go. Let him run. And so he gets out of this facility. He goes through this facility and it's like a clean room assembly line full of like Chinese workers. Yeah. And then he gets outside and jumps the fence and he's in a rice paddy. Right. Because he's not in the United States. Because he's not in the United States. Because he's not allowed there yet. He's not allowed there yet. Well, he doesn't fit the definition of the the ban, the Dreyfus right. Act ban, because he's a cybernetically enhanced human rather than an autonomous right. robot. So we just skip the whole, he completely forgot he was a right. person. Ostensibly, he maintains his identity as Alex Murphy, police detective. Yeah, through most Through of the it. entire process. Yeah. What I felt like they really did in this, I mean- Instead of going through it play by play, because honestly, the plot doesn't make any fucking sense. So it doesn't really make sense to go through the plot. But what I feel like they really did that I think undermined everything they were trying to say. I get what they were trying to say. But what I think they did that undermined it is they really took away the feeling of agency for his character. Because characters like Dr. Dennett have such granular control over even his uh, like hormone reactions... Because he's having like a stress response. He doesn't want to see his family. He doesn't want to go out and talk to people. He's like freaking the fuck out. And they literally turn down his, they turn down his hormones until he has no emotions whatsoever. Right. No chemical reaction And then to eventually anything. they put in some extra control so that the, the software of their existing robotic fleet will run, but it's electronically gaslighting him into believing that the things that he is doing, that he's the actions that are being performed by yeah. his body are coming from him. Right. And so it's like this almost too subtle loss of agency. Yeah. So we just like the viewer doesn't have um, a vis visceral sense Right. Of his loss of agency. Right. And we don't get the sense that he has lost a lot and he's trying to gain it back. It's more like he can't. How can he fucking get it back? He's wirelessly controlled. He has this extremely sophisticated software A software we really couldn't have even conceived of in 1987. Right. And I think what we're supposed to be seeing is as they are stripping away his humanity, they are also losing their humanity. So Dr. Norton goes from. I will never work on military applications to, oh, well, we need this guy to, like, look good on TV. Let's go ahead and just turn off all of his emotions. That's fine. Right. We'll just, I'm putting in this switch so we can turn him we off. We can just turn him off and he'll just be a robot. It'll be fine. We go and from. The, the character arc of Dr. Norton is not believable. Not, I mean, all, all kudos to Gary Oldman, but you, you can't, you can't make a. A silk purse out of a sow's ear here. Yet another. <laughs> <laughs> wow, honey. You, you don't know that one either? No, no. It looked like you dug a little for that one. Well, that's because it's also in a song in Mulan. And so you want me to turn a make a silk purse out of the sow's ear is in a song in Mulan. So the song popped up and then I was trying to remember how to just say it. Gotcha. 
Okay, look, really, I googled it. Make well, no, a silk I, purse of I a believe sow's you. ear. I believe you, but you okay. really got my goat there. <laughs> you know what? Someday I'm going to run out and you're going to be sad. I'm not going to have any more phrases that you've never heard of. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. You know who else we have in this movie who's fucking wasted is Jackie Earl Haley. Oh, boy. And he plays Rick Maddox. He also played Rorschach. He's also um, Odin King Cannon in, Priest, in Preacher. Yeah. And... There's nothing that he's in that I'm not like, oh, yeah, this going to be good. Except maybe RoboCop 2014. He was trying his best to be the asshole gatekeeper um, who had no plot arc. He had no growth. He had no dimension. He had a he, gun. He played a similar plot role to Dick Jones, where Dick Jones was the head over this, the Ed 209, the automated robot system and rick maddox is the lead he's like a technical lead of the existing uh, fully automated robotic fleet that is currently in use by the military and he does not like this human cyborg uh, project right and he objects to it from the very beginning right because he thinks machines will always be better and faster Right. Yeah. And so this the whole movie he's is trying to undermine the validity, the value of the Robocop project and in the end try to kill Robocop. Right. I mean, all right. But at that point I didn't care who won or lost, so Right. Whatever. You know what I think was another terrible choice was keeping the wife and son in the movie. The fact that the wife and son are kind of a presence, not a presence in the 1987 really fits in with the like, I can feel them, but I don't remember them. Right. And then in 2014, she's just crying the entire movie. I mean, like they literally brought her in for an audition. They were like, can you just cry? Can you cry and look like angry and sad at the same time? And she did. And they were like... Perfect. Done and dusted. That's it. That's your character. That's all you're going to do for the entire movie. You're going to be outraged at the injustice of what they used you to do to your husband. There you go. Dunzo. I mean, we don't get a plot arc. He doesn't actually lose. I mean, he loses like so. Okay, his dick, I guess. When but he, he doesn't lose anything. When really. he first like is sent out into the city, he's yeah. riding his motorcycle around. And they explain that the visor down means that the fully automated system is control and he's being gaslit. Yeah. And visor up means he's actually in control. Right. And so this whole time that he's driving his motorcycle around, the visor is down and she gets in the way of his motorcycle and tries to talk to him to wake him up. But the... The automated system is in control. Right. So he just says, you know, please get out of the way, whatever, blah, 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 and drives away. And she's like, oh, they've taken my husband away from me. She looks sad and angry like they had used her to take her husband away, to harm her husband. That, like that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think okay. that's where we're supposed to, we're, I think that's where they planned for us to get that sense of, oh, no, they've taken away his humanity yeah he doesn't even just he can't even just chat with his wife oh no poor guy yeah but it's never nothing ever comes to full development we tried to have exactly. too many things going 
And so not, we had nothing going. I don't really care that he lost that his wife. I mean, how is he supposed to go home? How, how right. is he going to go home? He has home? to go in like at least once a day and have his blood filtered because he doesn't have a liver or kidneys or anything. Right. So how how were we expecting this to work? How was she expecting this to work out? I get that they didn't fully explain what they were going to do to him, to her. But right. at the same time, she had to know if they completely rebuilt him as a robot, he wasn't going to be coming home anymore. She had effectively lost him in that moment. Right. And we could have played that like I had to choose between knowing you were gone forever and knowing you existed somewhere. We could have played it that way, and that would have been great. The... I was willing to lose you personally if it meant the world didn't lose what you could do. If it meant the world didn't lose the fact that you were a good cop, which he's not even that great of a cop. He's just a reckless cop. Right. Murphy at least was like, okay, we put a good cop in a high risk position of someone who is willing to make hard choices as opposed to like, yeah, this guy and his partner, they know there's corruption and they're like, Willing to go and stop the, I don't, what did he, I don't even, whatever. I didn't care. I just, there was just felt so disjointed. It was like, by the time you moved to the next section of the movie, you'd actually forgotten what had happened. And then you'd get back to a plot line you abandoned 45 minutes ago. And you're like, who was that again? I don't actually remember who that was anymore. Sorry. And then by the end, when he kills Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton doesn't even feel like enough of a villain that it feels like a victory. Right, he's just trying to make a buck. Yeah. that That's all he's trying to do. Right. Is run his company and make lots of money. Yeah, I feel like 95% and, of this movie was him in the lab. Yeah, and there, there, was, there was this narrative about the Dreyfus Act and the, um, let's see, Senator Dreyfus is... Yep, making a convincing argument about why autonomous law enforcement is a bad idea. Yeah. And uh, Michael Raymond Sellers' only objection is, well, mm, if I can get rid of this ban, then mm, I can sell you know, automated law enforcement to every city in America, that's a lot of money. Right. And so um, Jay Baruchel's character is like, yeah, ev like every day that we yeah. don't, every way, every day that the ban is in effect, we are hemorrhaging money. And that's the 1987 movie hit so hard because it was such an exaggeration like yeah. a projection forward of the worst timeline. Yeah. Of what this. It was a coherent timeline. It was like a consistent. Right. You had a sense of what the world was like. But that corporate setting in the 2014 movie is not a, a projection forward yeah. into the worst case scenario of our currently existing right. corporate the, I mean, the, I was going to mention that. It, yeah. It's just a model of existing corporate environments. Right. I mean, to be fair to them in 1987, they were like, what if, I mean, this is crazy, but like, what if Detroit had to like 
declare bankruptcy. And then we had like these casual like companies and billionaires whose actions caused the deaths of like hundreds or even thousands of people and like nobody gave a shit. And like, what if they were slowly destroying the planet around us and we treated it like it was the background news story to something else that was interesting that was happening? Like, what if that like, what if that was our life? Like, what would that feel like? And now we're like, oh, you mean like Wednesday? You mean like, like Wednesday? That's what you're talking about? Like, Actually, um, Detroit declared bankruptcy in the past, so that's already happened. So um, that's not post-apocalyptic anymore. That happened. Um, We live in a world that is governed by large corporations whose greed causes the death of people daily, People who cannot afford food, who cannot afford power, who cannot afford heat, who cannot afford transportation, who get paid so little they actually work more than they rest, and then they cannot afford health insurance. So when their health inevitably breaks down, they simply pass away from highly preventable things because they cannot afford even a doctor's visit. That's like now. That's not post-apocalyptic. That's now. Yeah. That's now. We had a formula shortage. Babies were starving because we couldn't make, we weren't making formula. And then the formula we were making, no one could afford. Yep. Um, how do you, how do you create a post-apocalyptic setting in, in the now without it feeling like a, like just today? So, I mean, I get it. They had a, they didn't have as much to work with because the worst possible thing has happened over and over and over again in the last, well, I mean, I guess in 2014, maybe we weren't quite there yet, but since 2020, what do we do? That's why so many movies are set in the past now, because Mm -hmm. you can have, you can have these narratives in the past. You can't have now. You've got to take away cell phones to create any kind of drama anymore. Right. You've got to, I mean, you've got to move us out of our world and put us in a simpler time so that when something complex happens, it feels dramatic as opposed to now where it all feels overwhelming. And I mean, I, I kind of get that, but at the same time, they, they took the, so the 1987 movie really felt like it was made by people as a commentary about where they saw the culture going. Mm -hmm. And because there's a guy in the suit, there's literally a soul in the character, if you want to think about Mm -hmm. it that way, Uh, where Peter Weller really infuses the suit, even the way he turns his head first and then turns his body. Yeah, production had to be halted because um, he had a whole like serpentine movement style that he had planned and practiced to use for the character but then when he finally got the suit on he was like no i can't do that so they had to halt production while he reworked yeah worked his movement figured out how to be the actor in the suit how to be the dude in the suit and you just can't replicate the dude in the suit ask doug jones right if you don't know who doug jones is you've seen doug jones doug jones is the dude in the suit in every single movie if you took shape of water and you made the aqua guy Mm -hmm. cg it's terrible movie 
terrible. Right. Instead, it's a guy in a suit. Yeah. Slightly augmented by CG. Right. Which is the better way to do it. Is the better way to do it. Because I think we talked about this in The Fifth Element. When you take the actor out of the, out of on, you know, when you're no longer filming on location, when you're filming in a giant green room, Mm -hmm. you just don't get the same warmth, the same realism to the acting that you get when you are literally filming on location or you're filming in the suit. And Joel Kinnan probably never spent a single day on set. If he was there at all, he was in a green well, suit. No, he spent three quarters of the movie before he got in the suit. Oh, I know. The whole hour and a half ahead of time. Well, he's only like the full body up until he gets blown up. Yeah, like, and then, I guess an hour in. Yeah. And then after that, it's just him reclining in the like suit reclining room. I don't know that he's in the, the dock. The dock that he's in 150% of the movie. So I don't know. Um, I mean, how can you, how can you act? How can you act together when, you know, viscerally an actor is going to react to a guy in the RoboCop suit, a dude in a spandex green onesie just doesn't have the same impact, no matter how hard you're going to try to pretend, even if you're Gary Oldman, right? It's just, and then you lose that soul. You lose that heart. You lose that sincerity. You lose that feeling of like passion. We're all in this together. This was like a ground up. Everybody had their hands in the set. Let's get this made together. And more of like a, if we just copy the vast majority of the formula from the first movie, we can make more money. It ends up feeling like a money grab. Like everybody loves RoboCop. Let's just remake RoboCop. And instead of analyzing like okay this was a commentary on american culture this was a commentary on the importance of the human like psyche this was an important uh, a role like a a commentary on the idea that a robot cannot surpass um the sophistication and the humanity of a person okay that's what right. they were and talking like about maybe particular skills yeah particular attributes a robot is better like they don't have to rest. They don't have to eat. The, you know, they yeah. don't get tired or bored. And they have they can have bigger guns. Right. And so, okay, cool. Let's and you know what? They also like they dropped the hyperviolence that mm-hmm. because we couldn't. I don't know. Maybe we couldn't get it past the rating board. Now maybe. I don't know. We dropped kind of the because the hyperviolence itself was a commentary on. How on how um, acclimated we have become to the idea of violence. So this over-the-top, bloody, gory violence was itself a commentary. So on that note, yeah, I finally got Rachel to watch an episode of Altered Carbon. Yes, because and you were like, in, no, 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 give Joel and give Joel a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I saw Joel McKinnon in RoboCop, and I was like, oh wow, he really bulks up over the next few years. Yeah. Anyway, the same way that RoboCop 1987 used hyperviolence as a commentary or at least a lens to view the story through, Altered Carbon does the same thing where there is some real gory stuff 
And there's like a lot of just casual disregard for the human physical body as a commentary. Yeah. And yes. it, uh, you know, as a lens to view this world. Because through. we're saying the same thing. Yeah. Where, where does your humanity lie? What makes you human? You are not your body. So bodies are disposable. What happens when bodies are treated as disposable? What do you lose? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so kind of shifting out of the <laughs> commentary <Okay>. on the <laughs> RoboCop 2014. Right. Um, I wanted to mention the other RoboCop movies. Okay. And I found some really funny synopses. Okay. <laughs> okay. RoboCop 2, 1990. Cyborg copper Alex Murphy contends with an impish child, the spread of a drug called Nuke, and a murderous junkie's brain in a robot suit in the second Robo of the RoboCop movies. Due to a striking police force, he is the only officer in Detroit that's on duty, so must resolve it all on his own. Okay. Okay. And then RoboCop 3, 1993. RoboCop interferes in the gentrification of Detroit into Delta City, part of Omni Consumer Products' plans to monopolize all their markets. Ninja androids try to stop the cyborg, who now has a jetpack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember he goes underground. Yeah. And, and they find, like, upgrade parts. For RoboCop. Of course they do. Of course they do. Yeah, it's fine. It's and like a video game. You open yes. a chest and there's one in there <laughs> and you're like, like yes! <laughs> they're going through the sewers and they end up in this warehouse and they're like, oh, hey, look, these have OCP on them. And they open it up and it's like, oh, hey, these parts were part of the like RoboCop project. Yeah. But they were scrapped because they wanted to make the RoboCop like more human-ish. Yeah. Uh Rather than look more like the Ed 209. <laughs> so, okay, so given that, yeah, are you interested in watching RoboCop? Well, 2 and obviously, RoboCop 3? <laughs> he gets a jetpack. Yeah. I also remember a commercial from in the movie for this like SPF 5000 sunblock. Oh, <laughs> uh, so that you can spend more than like. 30 minutes outside in the sun. Okay. Because so the ozone layer is on our way depleted. to Highlander 2 is what you're saying. Okay. It's a prequel it, to Highlander 2. <laughs> the RoboCop series, including Robo RoboCop 3, is a prequel. Yeah. To, to Highlander, Highlander 2. Highlander 2, which, which is not it's technically a standalone in, movie. It's a yeah, yeah. It's a standalone movie. Right. It's not part of the Highlander franchise. Right. I mean, there's jetpacks in Highlander 2. That's a good point. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And uh we're tying it all together. We are tying it all together. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what 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 city are they supposed to be in? In Highlander 2. Ooh, I don't even remember. I think I know it's it was New filmed York. in High in um, Argentina. I feel like it's New York, but I don't know that they actually say. I think they do. It's set in the year 2024. So four years before RoboCop. Or, sorry, the new RoboCop. New York. It's 2020. Okay, it's New York. New York, yeah. And Zeist. <laughs> the planet. The planet. Oh, just 
Zeist, the location, yeah. which depending on your the cut of the movie you're watching, may be a planet or it may be the past. Or it may be the past. Exactly. All right. Highlander 2 has a... <laughs> Is this Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. It doesn't have enough reviews to have a tomato meter. It's just blank. And then the audience score is 23%. And then the synopsis is, there should have been only one. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Okay. Here's our new rating scale. Do you think this was better than Highlander 2? Was RoboCop 2014 better than Highlander 2? I'd say it's about the same level. You know what? It was less entertaining than Highlander 2. It was less entertaining. Because there's a... Like a a scale, right? There's above a certain level, it's a good movie. Good to great to excellent to life-changing. And then there's this nebulous middle section where they aren't good enough to be good movies, but they're not bad enough to be funny. And so they're just boring. Like tepid water. Like tepid water. And I think that's, I like God abhor a lukewarm taste. And spit it out. And spit it from my mouth. So um, I think RoboCop 2014 falls in that like meh, the meh zone. The like, mm, I don't know, a, meh, meh. And then below meh, we have what the fuck? What just happened? <laughs> that was so horrible. I felt entertained. An example might be Love Bites. <laughs> yes. Love Bites is a terrible movie, but it's so terrible it's fun to watch. It's entertaining. I have considered watching it again since we made the podcast about it. <laughs> um, it's just, you're like, Adam Ant? All right, fine. Nobody can act. Don't care. It's still funny. Let's watch it. That's great. And so I really think we went right down the middle. And I think Highlander 2 just tickles the bottom edge of meh, where there's yeah. parts where you're like, what? Like the scene where they're in the room with the spinning fan and you lose your shit because it's hysterical, <laughs> right? Because he's like, because <laughs> the bagpipes are playing and he's stopping the fan. Great. That's quality cinema. But there are definitely moments where you're like, can we fast forward? Just like a little, can we fast forward a little? You know, another one that tickles the bottom is Crawl. Yeah. Where there are moments in Crawl where you're like, this is so bad I feel entertained. But there are other moments where you're like, wow. Uh, I, just wake me up when we stop climbing the mountain. Okay, great. Um, but I definitely think, yeah, I'm going to say RoboCop right in the middle. And I think RoboCop 1987 is mid-range top. It's not life-changing, but I'm glad I watched it. Yeah. And I definitely didn't fall asleep during the 1987 <laughs> RoboCop. How could you with all the explosions? I know. So this is our new rating system for the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. There's good, meh, and so bad I felt entertained. Yeah. We used to do rewatch. Would you rewatch it? I don't know. I would never rewatch the 2014 no. RoboCop. No. I would rewatch the 1987 one, even if it was just for the effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we could leave it there. I think we've just about dissected those to death. Oh, no. I, th- I think you could have some more to say. Yeah, but I'm going to keep but... it below two hours. <laughs> anyway, then. <laughs> Remember... Sometimes the cyborgist things are the most beautiful, too. <laughs> so be who you are. Be who you are, not who they made you to be. And love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.